Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the past two sessions we've talked about covenants of men with men and covenants of God with men. So it remains to us in this session to talk about covenants of men with God. And these covenants of men with God really fall into two categories. The first category is those covenants which men made directly with God. That is, they made promises to him and they confirmed these promises with oaths. And these covenants which they made with God were usually, if not always, uh, responses to his covenants with them. Promises to keep the covenant he had made with them. But they're still distinct from God's covenants because they come at different times. God's covenants were made with Abraham, with David, with Israel at Mount Sinai and so on. And these covenants were made at various points of men with God, were made at various points in Israel's history. And they were promises then to keep those covenants which God had made with them. They, as it were, made God... um, they uh, uh, acknowledged God's covenant with them and promised that they would live as his covenant people in their land. The second category of these covenants of men with God is really covenants of men with men. But covenants they made before God, and they, as it were, made God a party to their covenants, made God the witness of their covenants. And really were therefore promising not only, uh, making promises not only to fellow men, but were also making those promises in the presence of God and making those promises in a very real sense to God himself. And therefore we're going to divide our study of the scriptures on this topic into two parts. The first part then is covenants of men with God that they made directly with him. The scriptures speak of such covenants in a number of different places. I want to examine about seven or eight different passages of scripture, the first four of them in some detail and the rest of them in less detail. The book that we're going to turn to for this purpose is 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles mentions this idea of covenant making a number of different times. The first place is in 2 Chronicles 15, verses 12 and following. This happened during the reign of Asa, a righteous king of Judah, and the context here was the words of a prophet named Azariah, the son of Oded, who came to Asa and spoke to him the words of verses 2 and following. Hear me, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel has been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without law. But when in their trouble they turned to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found by them. So he's calling them really to repentance. And in response to this word of the prophet, Asa began a work of spiritual reformation in the uh, land of Judah. That's in verses 8 and following. And we find that he removed idols from the city and land. He restored the altar of burnt offering, verse 8. 
He removed Maica, the queen mother, from her position, verse 16, and cut down her image, an obscene image which she had had set up. And he brought dedicated, dedicated things into the house of God, verse 18. He also gathered all Israel, even people from the northern kingdom, verse 9, and together they offered sacrifices to the Lord, verse 11. At this gathering, Asa and the people made a covenant, and that's in verses 12 and following. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, and whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman. Then they took an oath before the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting and trumpets and ram's horns, and all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul, and he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest all around. Note first the promises they made. They promised to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, as the Lord had required of them in his law. They also promised that whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel was to be put to death. This was also a requirement of the law. Idolaters were to be put to death. So their promises, this they are making promises to the Lord, and these promises are promises to uh, return to his covenant, to keep his covenant with them. They seal these promises with an oath, verse 14, and then they rejoice before the Lord, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with all their soul. But the key thing to notice here, I think, and this is what we want to notice in the other covenants of men with God too, is that they are promising to keep the Lord's covenant with them. The second passage is Second Chronicles 29, verse 10. And this occurred during the reign of Hezekiah, another righteous king of Judah. The anger of the Lord had been aroused against his people. You can read about it in verse, verses 8 and 9. The wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he has given them up to trouble, to desolation, and to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons, our daughters, and our wives are in captivity. So the Lord was angry with them because of their sins. But Hezekiah, as a righteous king, was seeking reformation and returning to the Lord. And we read about that in verses 3 to 5. He opened the doors of the temple and repaired them. He brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. And then in verse 10, the covenant, It is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. My sons, talking to the Levites, do not be negligent now, for the Lord has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. So he wants them to um, make this covenant that they will sanctify themselves, that they will sanctify the temple, and that they will serve the Lord according to his commandment. But this arrangement of the Levites to serve in the temple 
is described in the law and in Malachi 2 as God's covenant with them. We might call this uh, covenant with Levi a kind of sub-covenant to the covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai. Malachi 2 verses 5 to 7 describes it in detail. My covenant, the Lord says, was with him, that is with Levi, one of life and peace, and I gave them to him that he might fear me. So he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth and injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me and peace and equity and turned many away from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge and people should seek the law from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord's covenant with Levi. And Hezekiah is in Second Chronicles 29 calling the priests to return to the keeping of that covenant to perform the service in the temple which God required of them and which they had been neglecting. So it's again a uh, returning to the Lord's covenant and a promise to keep his covenant with them. The next passage we want to look at is in 2 Chronicles 34. Again, we have the uh, a righteous king of Judah, uh, Josiah, and uh, a time when Josiah, the king of Judah, is uh, seeking to restore the true worship of God. It's a time of reformation then in uh, Judah. You can find this recorded also in 2 Kings 23. But what happened here was that Josiah asked the priests to cleanse and restore the temple. And while they were doing this work, they found the book of the law, verse 14, and brought it to the king. The king tore his clothes after he had read that book. He saw that the judgments pronounced in that book of the law must come on them because of the sins which they had committed. And he sent to inquire of the Lord. He sent to hold of the prophetess in uh, verses 21 and 22. And she told him that God's anger would certainly come on Jerusalem. Those judgments prophesied in the book of the law were going to happen. But that Josiah would go to his fathers in peace and not see the calamity of those judgments. That's in verses 25 and 28. Josiah then called the elders of the people and some of the people together and uh, read this book of God's covenant to them. So the people heard this covenant of the Lord and the elders of the people heard this covenant. And when they heard this covenant of the Lord with them as found in the book of the law, we find that they made a covenant with the Lord in response to that covenant of the Lord with them. Verse 31, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. So here's the promise of the covenant that they're making to keep the commandments and testimonies of the Lord and to follow him, to perform the words of the covenant written in the book of the law. 
And then Josiah made all who were present in Jerusalem and Judah and Benjamin take a stand. Apparently the people as a a sign that they would indeed make this covenant, swear this oath before God, stood in the presence of God and of the king to indicate that they were indeed entering into this covenant with the Lord. But again, notice it's a covenant to keep the covenant of the Lord. And Josiah and the people then followed up this covenant that they made with further reformation of worship, verses 33 and following. The fourth passage we want to look at is found in the book of Ezra, chapter 10. And again, the context is a context of sin. In this case, the priests and some of the people have taken foreign wives. And in taking foreign wives, of course, they have broken God's covenant with them. God had forbidden them to do that. You can find it in Deuteronomy 7. And they had made a covenant with the nations around them, which God had also forbidden them to do. So they have broken God's covenant. They have made a a bad covenant with the nations around them in these uh, wicked marriages. And now this is brought to their attention. You find that when Ezra heard about this in chapter 9, he tore his garment and he plucked out the hair of his beard, verse 3 of chapter 9, and sat astonished until the evening sacrifice, verse 4, and he prayed to the Lord, confessing the sin of the people, verses 5 and following. But in chapter 10, then verse 3 We find Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, one of the sons of Elam, proposing a covenant. Now therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and those who have been born to them, according to the advice of my master and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, and let it be done according to the law. Arise, for this matter is your responsibility, he's talking to Ezra. We also are with you. Be of good courage and do it. And so they make a covenant, and their covenant is that they will put away the foreign wives and send away the children who were born to them, and that they will return then to the covenant which the Lord had made with them. That they must not marry foreign wives, lest these wives tempt them into idolatry. And uh, Ezra then uh, accepted this proposal, and led the people in the making of this covenant. Verse 5, Ezra arose and made the leaders of the, peop- of the priests, the Levites, and all Israel swear an oath that they would do according to this word. So they swore an oath. And in verse 14, we find again that they took a stand. Please let the leaders of our entire assembly stand, and let all those in our cities who have taken pagan wives, come at appointed times together with the elders and judges of their cities until the fierce wrath of our God is turned away from us in this matter. So this is a particular part of the covenant of the Lord with them, and they are returning to this covenant of the Lord in the making of their own covenant. And the priests then followed this up with 
a sacrifice. Verse 19, they gave their promise that they would put away their wives, and being guilty, they presented a ram of the flock as their trespass offering, also according to the law, according to the Lord's covenant with them. So those are the the four main passages. I want to look at a few other passages in somewhat less detail. The first is Jeremiah 50, verse 5. And here, in the context, we have prophecy of the destruction of Babylon and of the return of Israel from their captivity in Babylon. Verse 4, In those days and at that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, with continual weeping they shall come and seek the Lord their God. And then in verse 5, notice the language here, they shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it, saying, Come, and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. They are wanting to join themselves to the Lord. They are wanting to seek the Lord. And they do this by means of this covenant, this swearing of an oath. And it's a perpetual covenant. They consider it binding not only upon themselves, but also upon the generations to come after them. Also, Hosea 10, verse 4. Hosea 10, verse 4, God is here condemning the people for some of their sins. And he says they have spoken words, swearing falsely and making a covenant. Thus judgment springs up like hemlock in the furrows of the field. Now it might be a reference there to covenants they made with other men. And the Lord is angry with them uh, because of their breaking of those covenants. But it's also possible that the Lord is referring to covenants they had made with him. Such covenants as we've just been looking at. In fact, in uh, Second Chronicles and Ezra and Jeremiah. And uh, the Lord is here uh, judging them or pronouncing judgment upon them because of their breaking of that covenant. The next passage is Psalm 50, verses 5 and 16. In the beginning of Psalm 50, we have the Lord summoning his people to his presence. The Mighty One, God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him, and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. So we have the setting of judgment, judgment of his people. Notice what he says in verse 5 then. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. So they have made a covenant with him. But it's not a covenant in which they have made explicit verbal promises, as we've seen before, but a covenant made by sacrifice. They have come to offer their sacrifices in the house of God. And the very offering of the sacrifice, as commanded by the law, is a covenant-making. 
They are expressing by the sacrifice their intention to worship the Lord, to keep his commandments, and to worship no other God. Their worship itself is a covenant with God. And that's important, I think, for us to remember when we come into worship and come into the presence of God to offer our sacrifices, our praise, our thanksgiving, our money, our service to him and to his people. All of this is a covenant making, a, an expression of our intention to serve the Lord and to serve him only. In fact, and you can look this up yourself if you want to, if you look up the word oath in the Old Testament, you find that sometimes that swearing of an oath stands as a kind of synecdoche, that is, the part for the, a part for the whole, for the worship of God, the act of swearing an oath before God, the act of covenant making is a synecdoche for the worship of God. God singles that out as key to his worship. We, when we come and offer our sacrifices to him, we are making covenant with him by those sacrifices. And then he says in verse 16 of that psalm, to the wicked, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? So these people are also coming into the presence of God to offer their sacrifices and their praise, to express their intention of keeping his covenant. But God says to them, what right do you have to declare my statutes? What right do you have to take my covenant in your mouth, seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you? When you saw a thief, you consented with him and had been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. So they are coming hypocritically and God rejects them because of their hypocritical covenant making. That's also a warning to us. That when we come into the presence of God, we must come with sincerity of heart and of mouth. So those are the passages then in which we find uh, men making covenants directly with God. But I want to look also at a few passages in which men make covenants with men, but these passages indicate clearly that they are also, when they make these covenants with men, making covenants with God. That they are making them in the presence of God, that they are making these covenants in his name, that God is a witness to their covenants, and that God really considers these covenants which they are making as covenants made with him. So they make the covenants directly with men, but God is involved, and God says, these are my covenants. And God then bound them to the keeping of those covenants and said to them, if you don't keep those covenants, you become liable to my judgment. We're going to look at four passages here. The first is Ezekiel 17. Now we looked at this um, a couple of weeks ago, and so we don't need to spend a lot of time on it here, but I want you to notice again the context here. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had sworn, had compelled Zedekiah to swear an oath 
That is, to make a covenant with him. That's a man-to-man kind of covenant. Zedekiah is making a covenant with Nebuchadnezzar. It's compelled from him. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar requires it, and the purpose of Nebuchadnezzar is to bring peace to the land of Judah, to allow Zedekiah to continue to rule in the land, and to uh, finish his work of destroying the land and the people of the land, to bring it to an end so that the land may have peace. Zedekiah swore this oath, and undoubtedly swore it in the name of the Lord. But in the passage, God calls this covenant that Zedekiah made with Nebuchadnezzar my covenant and my oath. Verses 13 to 19. And he took the king's offspring, that is Nebuchadnezzar, took the king's offspring, Zedekiah, made a covenant with him and put him under oath. Nebuchadnezzar put Zedekiah under oath. He also took away the mighty of the land that the kingdom might be brought low and not lift itself up, but that by keeping his covenant, it might stand, that is, the kingdom might stand. But he, Zedekiah, rebelled against him by sending his ambassadors to Egypt that they might give him horses and many people. Will he prosper? Will he who does such things escape? Can he break a covenant and still be delivered? As I live, says the Lord God, Surely in the place where the king dwells who made him king, that is, where the king of Babylon dwells, whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, with him in the midst of Babylon he shall die. Zedekiah is going to be taken to Babylon and will die there. Nor will Pharaoh with his mighty army and great company do anything in the war when they heap up a siege mound and build a wall to cut off many persons. He's not going to come to Zedekiah's help as Zedekiah had hoped. Since he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, and in fact gave his hand, and still did all these things, he shall not escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath which he despised, and my covenant which he broke, I will recompense on his own head. So it's a covenant Zedekiah made with Nebuchadnezzar. God says it's my covenant and my oath. You've broken it judgment is going to come on you because of it. I think we also referred before to Jeremiah chapter 34, verses 8 and following. And what we find here is that uh, the rich of the people of Israel had made slaves of their brothers and had disobeyed the commandment of God and not released these slaves at the end of the seven years. Zedekiah then uh, calls these people together and they together make a covenant to release the slaves who were Israelites. And then after they had done this, after they had made this covenant and released their slaves, they turned around and broke that covenant and brought their uh, brethren back into captivity again. Now when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant, this is verse 10, heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return, whom they had set free, and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. God was very angry with them for this. 
And in the verses that follow, we read that he reminded them of his covenant with them, of how he had brought them out of their slavery in the land of Egypt. We read of his law, the covenant that he had made with them in verse 14, in which he had uh, told them that they might not enslave a Hebrew brother beyond the seven years limit. And how their fathers had broken that covenant Your fathers did not obey me nor incline their ear. He reminded them of the covenant they had just made with him. Verse 15, you recently turned and did what was right in my sight, every man proclaiming liberty to his neighbor, and you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. So they had made the covenant before God in his house, in his temple, which is called by his name, They had then turned around and broken that covenant, and he says, profaned my name. You profaned my name by breaking your covenant. You took, you made the covenant, you swore the oath in my name, you broke the covenant, you have profaned my name, you are worthy of judgment, and he promises judgment upon them for it. That's in verse 17. And then notice in verse 18, And I will give the men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of the covenant which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes of Jerusalem, the eunuchs, the priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I will give them into the hand of their enemies. Proverbs 2, verse 17. In Proverbs 2, verse 17, God says this about the adulterous woman who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. Now, in the context, Solomon is urging his son to seek wisdom. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And in verse 12, he teaches his son one of the benefits of this seeking of wisdom. That Uh, He says in verse 11, Discretion will preserve you, understanding will keep you to deliver you from the way of evil, from the man who speaks perverse things. So that's the first benefit of pursuing wisdom. It will deliver you from the man who speaks perverse things. In verse 16, he talks about a second benefit. The pursuit of wisdom will deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth, and forgets the covenant of her God. This is an adulterous wife, then, that he's talking about. And this adulterous wife has forsaken her husband, and in forsaking her husband, she has forgotten the covenant of her God. She made vows to her husband. She, uh, there was a covenant between herself and her husband. This covenant was made before God, and she has broken that covenant. She has forgotten that covenant. It is the covenant of her God. The vows were made in his name. God had joined them together. She had destroyed the covenant of marriage 
which Malachi 2 also talks about. It's a, marriage is a covenant between two persons, but it's made in the presence of God, and God here calls it the covenant of her God. We also want to look at Second Chronicles 23, verses 1 and following. And this chapter is really permeated with the idea of the covenant. In fact, there's really more than one covenant here. Athaliah, the granddaughter of Ahab, the king of Israel, had killed all the royal seed so that she could reign instead of the son of David. But one son, an infant, had escaped from her uh, murderous act, and Jehoiada, the priest, was now, after seven years, conspiring to get rid of Athaliah and put this seven-year-old son on the throne instead of her. And the first thing uh, Jehoiada did was make a covenant with the captains of hundreds. Verse 1. In the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and made a covenant with the captains of hundreds. And this was undoubtedly to get this conspiracy rolling, swearing these captains to uh, silence, to secrecy, and swearing them to help him in setting Joash, the king's seed, on the throne of David. Then we find in verse 3 that all the assembly, these are the people of Judah now who are joining with Jehoiada in this conspiracy against Athaliah, then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And he said to them, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord of hosts as the Lord has said of the sons of David. And then he explains to them how they're going to carry out the coup against Athaliah. So this is a a covenant made with the king, but it's made in the house of God. It's made before God and is therefore properly called God's covenant again. And in verse 16, yet a third covenant in this context Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself, the people, and the king, that they should be the Lord's people. So it's now Jehoiada, the king, and the people together, uh, swearing that they will be the Lord's people. And they follow this up with reformation, tearing down the temple of Baal, murdering or killing the priest of Baal, Matan, before the altars of Baal, and restoring the proper worship of Jehovah in the temple of the Lord, in the temple. So they are going to be the people of the Lord. They are going to keep the Lord's covenant. But it's again, it's in the house of God. It's made before God. It's in the name of God. It is the Lord's covenant. So we have these two kinds of covenants then. Covenants made directly with God. Promises made to him. uh, Oaths sworn for the keeping of those promises, and those promises then coming to expression, as we saw, also in worship, in sacrifice, in praise, in promises, in uh, in prayer, and in song. In all these different ways, as we worship our God, we are making covenants with him. And those covenants are binding upon us. Just like any promise that we make, Ecclesiastes 5 talks about vows, but we may refer to it in this context 
as well. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 and following. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear, rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven, and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. And notice how the language really goes beyond just making vows here. For a dream comes through much activity, and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better to vow than to vow and not better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? This is why Jesus says to us, let your yea be yea. But we've also seen that there are covenants made with men, covenants we make with men before God, swearing oaths, various kinds of oaths. We swear oaths of loyalty to our government if we become a citizen of a country. We swear an oath in a trial if we're a witness at a trial. We swear oaths as doctors, for example, if we become a doctor. There are various oaths and vows and promises that we make, marriage vows, membership vows, baptismal vows, many kinds of vows and promises that we make, and many kinds of things that we Um, various kinds of things in which we swear an oath. These are covenants, perhaps the covenants of men with, uh, uh, with men, but before God, perhaps covenants made directly with God. And God binds us to the keeping of them and is angry with us when we do not. In fact, he says, if you do not keep your promises, if you do not keep your covenants, you profane my name. We must remember, brothers and sisters, that we are Christians, and as Christians we bear the name of God. And when we are not truthful people, when we are people who are not faithful to our promises, we are dishonoring the name of the God whom we serve. So we can't take these uh, passages of Scripture which talk about formal covenants and formal taking of oaths and dismiss the whole matter by saying, well, we very seldom make such formal covenants and formal oaths before God. That's true, probably. But we do make many promises. We do make many vows. And we do say many things which we expect people to accept as truth. And we say these things and we promise these things and we vow these things and we covenant these things as Christians who bear the name of God. And God says, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Be known as people who speak the truth. Because you are worthy of judgment if you do not speak the truth and if you do not keep your promises. You profane my name, and I will be angry with you. God be thanked, then, that our Lord Jesus Christ 
kept his promises, kept the covenant of God perfectly and completely for us, and has thus redeemed us from all our covenant breaking and our oath for swearing and our failed promises and failed vows and all those things we have done to uh, break away from the service of our God by which we have brought shame on his name. Let us seek our Lord Jesus Christ as the one who is able to deliver us also from these sins. May God bless us with his word.